You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. What a day. It has been tough. But we need to focus on the job in hand. We still have nearly 621,000 that remain without power. We did what we had to do at the exact same time. I wouldn't have changed anything. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. I don't believe we'll ever have a fair election again. I'll keep your lights on. I'll make sure that I keep your kids safe. To cut your property taxes, to secure the border, to keep dangerous criminals behind bars. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Now it's a sprint to election day. Welcome to the fourth quarter and the fastest hour in politics with Congress in recess. It's full-time campaigning and debating from now to November, and we'll look at the shifting landscape on the trail, including some important governor's races to watch ahead with Jessica Taylor of the Cook Political Report. The new Supreme Court term begins today with Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson's voice added to the high court, and there's already news as the court decides to hear a challenge to Section 230 protections for social media. We'll get into it with Bloomberg Supreme Court expert Greg Storr, and our signature panel is with us. Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano. Five weeks to go to the midterms, and things ought to be pretty quiet here inside the bubble. Congress is gone. You can park almost anywhere. No real traffic this morning in D.C. Real clear politics, by the way, that'll change tomorrow, right? People work Tuesday to Thursday now. Real clear politics poll of polls shows Republicans up by only one percentage point on the generic congressional ballot. 538 gives Republicans a roughly two and three chance of flipping the House. Same odds for Democrats holding the Senate. That's where we start here. Prepare for a lot of town halls and at least some debates. As we've been discussing, there aren't that many, depending on the race, maybe one, maybe two. If you're lucky for a big race, the closely watched governor's race in Texas saw its one and only debate last weekend. Hold your breath. Now in their only debate before Election Day, we go after answers on the issues you care about most. Listen to this intro. Abortion. KXAN in Austin. The drama. (laughs) And how far we'll go to protect our Trying to scare people uh, as people watch around the state. The heat is on in South Texas. Live from the University of Texas, Rio Grande Valley. I, I mean, it's like music from the movie Psycho. I know we all want ratings, but my God, if we can calm down a little bit, we might survive this election cycle. So the debate ran an hour. It covered a lot of ground, including several rounds on gun laws. Well, you would expect that in Texas, Beto, Abbott, and as well 
on reproductive rights. Listen to Republican Governor Greg Abbott and Democrat Beto O'Rourke crystallize the national debate in this back and forth. As, as it concerns uh, abortion, listen, Beto's position is the most extreme because he not only supports a, abortion of a fully developed child to the very last second before birth, he's even against providing medical care for a baby who survives an abortion. He is for unlimited abortion at taxpayer expense. That's not true. It's completely a lie. Um, I never said that, and and no one thinks that in in the state of Texas. He's saying this because he signed the most extreme abortion ban in America. No exception for rape, no exception for incest. It begins at conception, and it's taking place in a state that is at the epicenter of a maternal mortality crisis, thanks to Greg Abbott, three times as deadly for black women. I will fight to make sure that every woman makes her own decisions about her own body, her own future, and her own health care. That's what most of us, Republicans and Democrats, All right, in this one state point believe. of clarification. Mr. Ward, just in 15 seconds, is there a limit that you support on women getting an abortion? That limit was decided in 1973 through a victory that Jane Roe and Linda Coffey and Sarah Weddington won before an all-male United States Supreme Court. Important exchange, important follow-up there by the moderator. Democrats think this is a game-changer nationally, of course. And that's where we start with Jessica Taylor, Senate and Governor's Editor at the Cook Political Report. This is busy season for Jessica and she's back with us on Bloomberg Radio. Jessica, welcome back. Democrats want to make abortion a major issue nationally. Do the nuances change, though, from state to state as you listen to this debate in Texas, or is that the blueprint for both parties that we just heard? It's somewhat the blueprint that we've heard along messaging, but I still think it is different state by state. I think it matters more in governor's races, um, but you know, this law, even if better were to win, which he is not favored to do, we have this race rated likely Republican, um, you know, he would still face paths to try to overturn this. Yeah. And, you know, where I think it has helped Democrats narrow the gap overall, we, but we still see the economy is still number one. I mean, abortion is not far back there, mm-hmm. but I still think the economy And all of these issues are ones that are favorable to Republicans in what should historically be a favorable Republican year. Now, has abortion narrowed that some and sort of maybe muted the historical aspect? I think it has. But, you know, in very, very close races, we could see this matter. But I never consider Texas a very, very close race from the beginning, even though Beto certainly is a national name and certainly rose to rose to prominence. Yes. Um, in his Senate race and subsequent presidential race, it didn't help his any future career he had in Texas by by any much. But I think ultimately this was you know, he'll, raise, he'll, he'll raise a lot of money, but I just don't see this being competitive. The real clear average, by the way, has uh, the incumbent Greg Abbott up by eight points over Beto O'Rourke. And I, I want to mention that Cook moved and this was your your column, uh, Jessica, moved. A couple of important governor's races, including Michigan and Pennsylvania, specifically these two from lean Democratic to likely Democratic. And I'd like to ask you about each of them. We'll start with Pennsylvania here, although maybe you've got uh, a theme between the two. What was the issue? What was the movement in the, in the two races that, that had you move the dial here? Well, the, I think there's more of a theme between Pennsylvania and Michigan, which really yeah. at the start of the cycle, these were key um, Republican pickup opportunities. You know, swing states very narrowly decided in the past two presidential elections went from voting for Trump in 2016 to voting for Biden very narrowly in 2020. But it shows us that candidates matter. 
So in Pennsylvania, you have Doug Mastriano that won that primary. And up until starting tomorrow, he's never run a television ad. And the, the Democratic incumbent, or not Democratic uh, nominee, rather, Josh Stein, uh, Josh Shapiro, who is currently the um, attorney general, yeah. did not have a primary, has compl- far outraised him, has been able to set the narrative there. And they're all, he's, at, he's attracting a lot of Republican voters, too. So this is just not one that we could see as competitive any longer when you know, you're six months out or not six, five weeks out. We're just five weeks starting tomorrow. Um, when the nominee hasn't even run a television ad. That's been the same case in Michigan, where Tudor Dixon won the primary. Mm -hmm. Now, she was probably the best nominee that Republicans could have hoped for, but that was because the top two picked off the ballot, weren't even on the primary ballot. So (laughs) we've I'll ask you more about that. When Donald Trump held a rally for Republicans in Michigan over the weekend, he was in Warren, Michigan. Uh, you may have seen this yourself. In, in, In stumping for Tudor Dixon specifically, who is trailing... Uh, Governor Gretchen Whitner, Whitmer by quite a bit here. Listen to Tudor Dixon and listen to the crowd respond as she spoke at the Trump rally. Are you excited to see President Donald J. Trump? Would you be excited to see Gretchen Whitmer? She's not doing any public events because she's afraid of what was that sound again? <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, and this I rolls guess, right into, you know, I it, guess. <laughs> the lock her up chant. Uh, and boy, this went on for quite a while. But my goodness, the, the sort of snarky campaign message against uh, Governor uh, Whitmer is not working. Jessica, how come? Dixon also has no money. Now, she does have a group backing her that helped her win the primary, led yeah. by the family of former Trump Education Secretary Betsy DeVos. But, I mean, Whitmer is just outspending her and running a far better ground game. Mm-hmm. And again, in a state like Michigan that's typically this close, these things matter. Now, I'm not saying that either Pennsylvania or Michigan is going to be, you know, a double-digit blowout. I don't sure. think that's the case. But four or five points in these states, states just how closely divided they are. That's a landslide. And did you see, uh, to your point, with with Dixon not running ads, did you see this local uh, Republican Party ad that was posted to Facebook? The thing's gone viral today yes, on Twitter. I it's did. I mean, it's talk about homegrown. By the way, how do you pronounce the, the county? Is, is it is it get County in? Um, we'll, we'll, we'll I'm la- not 100%, we'll get 100% that sure. Done for you, but but that, you know, the, they- the county Republican Party came up with its own ad. I feel irresponsible almost playing this, but it's it's just, it's so stark, Jessica. Give it a listen. Schools were closed for almost two years. Poor kids. Speaking of kids, Whitmer says she's gonna work like hell to keep killing babies. And she put COVID patients in Graham's nursing home. Graham died alone. Graham died alone, Jessica. These are like five bikers or people dressed like bikers. Uh, yeah. Uh, I guess no, volunteers, are, are they real people? Yeah. I'm not sure, but the ad people saying, I'm voting for chick. What's her name? So they don't even yes. know Dixon's name until someone tells them. The other so chick. Your line uh, went out of there for a second. Yes, they refer to Tudor Dixon as the other chick. And I'm assuming that she's good with this. What do you think, Jessica? <laughs> Oh, you're, you, you cut out on me there, Joe. Yeah, we got ourselves a bad line. But, Jessica, thank you. Senate and Governor's Editor for the Cook Political Report. I appreciate your being with us here on Bloomberg Sound On.
if you haven't seen this, I mean, it's it's a riot. I could keep playing it. And yes, they do refer to Tudor Dixon as the other chick. Donald Trump at that same rally with a message that ought to resonate with voters on both sides of the aisle. Well, maybe just Republicans. But I'm afraid we have never had we and I don't believe I don't believe we'll ever have a fair election again. I don't believe it. Not sure how anyone will react to that when you're trying to get voter turnout here five weeks away. Donald Trump in Warren, a lot more where that came from that we're going to assemble the panel and walk through here at the beginning, really. I mean, my goodness, this is it. There's no turning back here in the general campaign to midterm election night. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano are coming in next. Bloomberg Politics contributors are signature panel, of course. And a bit later on this hour, we're going to turn to what's happening in the Supreme Court. A very important day with a new term at hand and a new justice on the high court helping to argue all of this out. We're going to talk with Greg Storr about that later on here on Bloomberg's Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. Hope you had a great weekend. Thanks for being with us. And make sure you subscribe to the Sound On podcast. This is Bloomberg. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Apologies to the people of Gratiot County in Michigan. That's actually how you say it, Gratiot. I knew Rick was going to correct me on that. Not that he has yet but I suspect he has spent political ad dollars there. That's where Tudor Dixon is not spending ad dollars. So the the county Republican Party came up with its own ad. They put it on Facebook. As I mentioned, you get five people dressed like bikers. Maybe they are bikers uh, talking about in real people speak. The Tudor Dixon campaign. Okay, okay. I'm voting for the other chick. What's her name? Tudor Dixon! It's the other chick. As we assemble the panel now, Jeannie Shanzano is here and Rick Davis. 
aforementioned Bloomberg Politics contributors. Rick, you've probably been there. Does an ad like this work? Uh, no, not at all. Okay. <laughs> I mean, if anything, we're probably giving it more airtime than it really deserves. And I uh, suspect I've been guilty of that before. No, no telling what the, the you know example is at the home state, but I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> to find that uh, you're going to start seeing uh, bumper stickers that say the other chick. Right. Um, what do you make of the lack of spending and, and the lack of fundraising? Obviously, that money, Rick, is not coming from Donald Trump. How does someone like Tudor Dixon put up a real campaign against an incumbent. Yeah, this is not unusual. I mean, she was, you know, one of these Trump candidates, or, and she's going full Trump, right? Unlike some of them, uh, she's not pivoting to That's a more right. mainstream uh, point of view. Uh, and and she's dead broke, um, you know, and that wasn't too different than the Senate candidate in North Carolina, Ted Budd, or mm. or even uh, the Senate candidate uh, Mastro, or, uh, Masters in Arizona. I mean, if not for the Senate Leadership Fund, Mitch McConnell's group, most of these campaigns in Ohio, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, uh, Arizona, they wouldn't have any money at all. Wow. And, and so it, I just find it really entertaining and, and, and bizarre that, that McConnell is the one that Trump is attacking since Trump's candidates can't seem to raise any money. Isn't that the truth, uh, Jeannie? We're going to talk a little bit more about this later, this latest attack on McConnell. But it's been a long time since Donald Trump has had anything good to say about the minority leader in the Senate, the Republican leader, since about maybe 2018. Might be the last time he said something nice about Mitch McConnell. Uh, but that leaves candidates like this one, Tudor Dixon. There are other examples that Rick pointed out that were elected as MAGA candidates, but they don't have any MAGA money, Jeannie. They don't. And, you know, I, I have to confess, Joe and Rick, I did not watch the rally myself, but I have read about it. And one of the things we know about Donald Trump, not only doesn't he fund these candidates, but when he goes to rally, they said she came up on the stage for just a couple minutes. Otherwise, yeah. he was free forming on his own. And, you know, the reality is, is that there the Democrats are outspending her as of Wednesday, 16.5 million to 924,000. That's pretty astonishing when you look at that and you know we have to remember how she got the nomination the two other candidates who were leading were disqualified so you know she would came up from behind she's a political newcomer she doesn't have any real uh, you know uh, any real background in this yeah. um, she got this nomination sort of by default and she has this one main backer in addition to Donald Trump is is the family of Betsy DeVos but you know they have not been willing you know, just like Donald Trump, they've funded her, but he has not been willing to fund her to the extent she needs. And she's in, you know, a double digit loss here. And we don't see a lot of Republicans coming to her support. It's a very different scenario in the governor's race in Texas, which we talked about a bit earlier this hour, Rick. Uh, Greg Abbott, of course, the incumbent, Beto O'Rourke, the insurgent Democrat, although I don't know if we can call him that if he if he has another campaign at some point here. But interesting in their only debate as they drew lines uh, on a number of issues that were pretty predictable from, you know, from from gun control to reproductive rights. Uh, but this is a Republican uh, incumbent here that's in a very good standing, Rick. Does Beto O'Rourke have a chance? Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I think he's been probably the most grossly overrated candidate in America for the last decade. Um, you know, I mean, he's, he's really good at losing elections statewide. And uh I can't wait for, you know, moments after the November election when he loses again by, you know, close to double digits 
that they start talking about him running for president. So um, I don't really get it. Uh, I like candidates who win, kind of a Donald Trump type phrase. <laughs> uh, but then again, I like you know I like some who lose too. I guess. I, um, but <laughs> but the bottom line is, I, what I can't understand about that debate is Beto O'Rourke didn't talk about Donald Trump at all. He's the only Democrat in America who can't say the word Donald Trump. And I I get it from a demographic point of view. But I don't know. It's just like malpractice to go through an entire debate wow. and not tie Abbott to Trump and and the rest of the the statewide delegation. You went after him uh, for for just about everything else, Jeannie, and certainly spent a lot of time on Uvalde and spent a lot of time on the issue of abortion. Uh, but Texas is its own state. The poll of polls, as I mentioned, it real clear, has Beto down by eight. Yeah. And, you know, I, too, agree with Rick on that. The two things I think he should have talked about um, are abortion, although Texas has its own history with abortion, but more importantly, would have been Donald Trump. And what was stunning to me is the governor, he took multiple swipes at President Biden, which O'Rourke then got in a position of at the end sort of defending, but he never came back and talked about the leading candidate on the Republican side, who is not Greg Abbott for the presidency at this point, but Donald Trump. He never talked about it, which was, you know, I think a big miss on his part. Otherwise, I think this was a miss on, uh, you know, for somebody behind O'Rourke really had to come out strong and take several swipes. He didn't make much of a mark here and he doesn't have another chance. Great analysis from Rick and Jeannie. We're going to cut this and look at specific races each day as we work our way to November. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. She jumped in less than 10 minutes into the argument today. You say the question is which wetlands are covered, which I agree with. But I guess my question is why would Congress uh, draw the coverage line between abutting wetlands and neighboring wetlands. Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson in her first day of arguments there on a case involving wetlands protected by the EPA. This is just the beginning of, as we've discussed, what could be another historic term. And joining us, man, is that a very busy day. Bloomberg Supreme Court reporter Greg Storr. It's great to see you, Greg. This generates the headline here and in, in really fascinating. Jackson dives into the court's ideological split in first case. What does it tell you about the way she composed herself today? Well, she certainly acts like she belongs there. She, <laughs> she, uh, you know, uh, she was the fourth justice to say something. Uh, she asked a lot of questions. She asked follow-up questions. She was uh, really relentless in her questions. At one point, Justice Neil Gorsuch, one of the conservatives, asked something, and she kind of jumped in to push back at what he what he asked. So uh, she's certainly uh, you know up for the tussle, at least yeah. based on the first day. You wrote that the topic is a comfortable one for her first argument as a longtime judge in the District of Columbia, where the federal courts uh, field a disproportionate number of cases involving agency authority. Is that going to change a little bit tomorrow when voting rights comes up? Uh, we'll see. Uh, my guess is she'll be fairly active in that, too. Yeah. Um, she, of course, is the first black female male justice. Mm-hmm. Uh, this may be an issue that she has particularly strong feelings about. We'll see. Um, and, of course, it's one of the court's biggest cases, so one would expect that she is especially attuned to it. Yeah. What, tell us, uh, what are the contours of the debate that we're going to hear tomorrow? Yeah, so this is a case out of Alabama, mm-hmm. and a, Alabama has seven congressional districts. It's a 27 percent black population, and a lower court said that the Republican-drawn map that 
created basically one majority black district was insufficient and that uh, they needed to create a second one. And so the question is whether for the Supreme Court is whether that was actually required under the Voting Rights Act. And the state of Alabama is making a pretty far-reaching argument that basically says, look, you're not even supposed to look at race. What you do is you look at neutral criteria. um, And if you follow those neutral criteria, then you're okay. Really important uh, case here, maybe the most important this term according to some, along with the affirmative action case at Harvard. Would you agree? It, it, it's certainly up there. There yeah. are, <laughs> There's a big, there's big— there's no point in ranking uh, issues here. They're yeah, all Yeah, the, there are some really big ones. There's another uh, voting case that's a little more complicated, having to do with the power of state Supreme Courts to um, <clears throat> strike down gerrymandered maps as yeah. being violative of their state constitutions. This is certainly a very big one. We're already—no matter how this case comes out, we're going to see a reduction in the number of black members of Congress, and potentially this case will uh, spur that reduction to be even greater. Fascinating. Spending time with Greg Store on day one of the new term. I, I don't know if you saw this coming. Maybe it was widely expected, but uh, the Supreme Court will hear a challenge to Section 230 protections. And I bring it up because we hear people, lawmakers uh, specifically, refer to them all the time that Republicans believe leads to censorship. Not that that's even an applicable term necessarily, but that their voices uh, are edited out of social media, essentially, that, that the liability these companies carry needs to change. Uh, did you see, first of all, this coming? That Was it expected they would they would tackle this? I wouldn't say it was expected. It was certainly a possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> this is a case that has to do with targeted content uh, recommendations made by YouTube. Uh, it's a, it's a terrorism-related case, and the, the argument is that by recommending, using their algorithms, recommending other ISIS videos. They sort of helped, helped you know, spur ISIS on. And even though it wasn't directly tied to this particular uh, terrorist incident, it was the, the, the attacks in Paris, um, the, the, they say that the social media companies should be you know, open to suit. That's what the, the, the family says. And this would, however, uh, have wide-ranging uh, consequences for I hate to say big tech. It's really the social media companies we're talking about, as you mentioned, Google, Facebook, Twitter, and so on. Yeah, so Section 230 does have pretty robust protections for being uh, the word in the in the statute is publisher. Okay, so yeah. if all they're doing is publishing a third party's content, mm-hmm. uh, the, the law says, you know, that they're, they're immune. And But the question is... You know, in this case, maybe they did something more than that. If they're not just kind of this neutral, you know, go ahead and publish what you want, just use use our our, our code to do that, uh, whether they can be held responsible for that. And then there's also a second case that's very terrorism-specific that the court also agreed to hear that alleges they didn't do enough to identify and take down social media posts by, by terrorist groups. I have to ask you, just because uh, you're with us, Greg, about the leak uh, the investigation that's been going on for months and months now, uh, when when the when the the draft of the Roe ruling was leaked, it was said to really affect the culture in the court that this was really a very difficult time. Yet we've still really heard nothing, have we? No, we've heard nothing about that. No updates. And and remember when the chief justice said there was going to be an investigation, yeah. he didn't promise he would actually tell us the results of it. So. Um, huh. You know, publicly, we do not know anything about. So they could be done, for all you know. They could they could be done. They could be at, at a standstill. They could be at the point where they they you know aren't going to be able to figure out who it is. We we really do not know. Has the culture, for lack of a better word, of the court progressed, or or is it is it still just a different place because of this? 
Well, th- there are certainly signs. Yeah, it's hard to say exactly what caused it, but uh-huh. over the summer, and of course we had this huge ruling in the abortion case, yeah. but over the summer there was a, a, a good deal of back and forth among the justices, uh, starting with Elena Kagan, one of the liberals, who you know, basically said that when you have justices who – uh, come in, new justices come along and say, I disagree with that, that previous decision, so I'm going to vote to overturn it. That uh, harms the court's legitimacy. And a couple of the conservative justices have pushed back against that. And, and it's really a kind of a remarkable exchange that was going on. And, and you know, we'll, we'll see how that plays out this term. Boy, I guess we will. Uh, that Do you have a gut check on whether he, the, the chief justice would want this to be out there publicly? Would that help to keep it from happening again? You know, it's hard to say without really knowing who it was. Yeah, okay. and, and I guess, you know, huh. if you could imagine, and I'm purely speculating here, but if it were connected to a justice, yeah. if we knew that some justice on either side bore some responsibility, that would really change how it would be perceived. Sure. If it's one renegade law clerk, um, perhaps not. Uh, you know, it, it's just awfully hard to say. Fascinating, as always. Greg Stork, good luck tomorrow. Great to have you uh, back on with us on Bloomberg Sound On. The best Supreme Court reporter in the business. You've heard me say that before. Of course, he's at Bloomberg, and our panel comes up next to weigh in on what we just heard. Rick and Jeannie next on Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. (laughs) Making your money work as hard as you do. That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Section 230. You hear about it a lot. goes back to the Communications Decency Act of 1996. And while a lot has changed since then, when you were going to ask Jeeves, Google wasn't even around yet, right? And as Greg Storr just explained to us, the Supreme Court will decide whether those protections go too far, protecting, in this case, Google, YouTube, Google, same company, over recommendations 
of, of terrorist videos. You know how you get the list down on the side? Next video we picked for you. The court could rule that platforms are banned from using algorithms to recommend content like that. And this is where we get back to things with our panel. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis, Bloomberg Politics contributors, our signature panel back here on a Monday. Jeannie, what do you make of this decision by the Supreme Court? Would would that put this issue to rest once and for all? I'm assuming because it is the Supreme Court, it would. But there could be many different ways to interpret these rulings. It could. You know, I suspect that Clarence Thomas had a role here in granting cert. He's been uh, sort of outspoken in terms of his views on this. Um, Mm. We don't know who the other three were, obviously. But, you know, these two cases are critically important because they raise a lot of questions about how free our speech online will be going forward. But I'm not sure this is going to be the end of the line here, because if you just think about one of these cases, this Gonzalez case versus Google, they're asking whether this, uh, you know, limited or shield of liability should apply mm. in cases when the companies make these targeted recommendations. Right. And yeah. so I think it's possible that the court will, you know, say that the, it should not apply in those targeted recommendation cases, but it still may apply in other cases. So I suspect we may see a continuation of, uh, you know, cases going up to the court of this kind. And, you know, you mentioned 1990. Six. Yeah. Congress really needs to step up here. These are not decisions that should be made, in my view, at the court. They should be made by the people's representatives in Congress who have not stepped up to regulate in this space, despite what appears to be some bipartisan support in this area. Rick, Republicans have largely been the ones calling for a repeal or reform of somehow of Section 230, equating it to uh, to censorship of, of political views and specifically conservative views. How about everybody just reveal their algorithms? I mean, isn't that a place to start? That's what the whistleblowers tend to ask for on Capitol Hill. Yeah, I think that uh, that's part of the debate. That's what we heard from the Facebook whistleblower earlier last year. And and look, I mean, you know, the companies say, oh, that's, what's the difference between that and, you know, the magic recipe for Coca-Cola? Right. <laughs> I understood. Mean, it's, uh, it's, it's a debate that's going on. But look, Section 230 has been changed over time. I mean, just a couple of years ago, the... The Congress uh, unanimously almost, I mean, both bipartisan Republicans and Democrats joined together to uh, go after uh, sex trafficking that it occurs on, on the web and, yeah. and, and close this loophole there in Section 230 for that. So there's going to be, regardless of what happens in the Supreme Court, there's going to be continued activity on Capitol Hill and in the Biden administration around looking to how to reform Section 230. And mm-hmm. so now we just have the pot is right. Every major, you know, uh, uh, government entity, Supreme Court, Congress and the presidency is all looking at the same thing, which indicates to me that change is coming. Change is coming indeed. Donald Trump is asking for change in the midterm elections. And as we look ahead to 24, he's not happy with Mitch McConnell. And this is something that Rick brought up earlier. I want to ask you both about this. Uh, it's not a tweet. It's, I guess, a truth, whatever, this social media post. Donald Trump writes, is McConnell approving all of these trillions of dollars worth of Democrat-sponsored bills? Of course, I'm guessing he, he's, he means the CR to keep the government open here. Without even the slightest bit of negotiation, because he hates Donald Trump and knows I'm opposed to them. So he makes it about himself there. But as you go down here, he says, in any event... He has a death wish in capital letters, death wish. 
must immediately seek help and advise from his China-loving wife, followed by a, I guess, racial epithet here uh, referring to Elaine Chow. You know Trump doesn't like Mitch McConnell. A guy like Mitch McConnell, who allowed this stuff to happen, should be scorned. He that should was be just scorned. A couple weeks ago at a rally, uh, Rick... What does Mitch McConnell do about this, considering the point you made earlier? He's actually funding several of Donald Trump's most prominent endorsed candidates. Yeah, he's a bit of a, a rock and a hard place, right? Where's he'd this like coming to be, from? He'd like to be majority leader. So in order to be majority leader, he's got to make sure that, you know, uh, Trump candidate in North Carolina and Ohio and in Pennsylvania all win. Yeah. And so it's in his own self-interest. Look, he's always taken a hands-off approach to Trump, right? During the entire presidency, when people thought it was time for him to speak out and set the record straight and, you know, or to, to knock down some of the untruths that are coming out of the administration. And he kept his own counsel. He, he, he let Trump be Trump. And, and I'm pretty confident that that was probably a strategy based on if Trump just acts like Trump, he'll go away pretty soon. And, <laughs> and he, he kind of had his way. He's not president anymore, but he certainly hasn't gone away. So... Uh, what, it, what I find amazing is there aren't every Republican in the United States Senate attacking Donald Trump and saying that he needs to issue a retraction of this because this is dangerous, right? This is the same thing he did to his own vice president, threw That's him under right. the bus after January 6th Death wish. And, 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 and basically put, him, put his vice president at risk. He's putting these people at risk. We see crime against politicians going up, and this is the wrong time and the wrong way to make your – dislike for Mitch McConnell's legislative strategy known. And wow. and when the Wall Street Journal comes out, I'm I'm shocked other Republicans aren't following suit. Uh, Wall Street Journal, review and outlook, Trump's death wish rhetoric. Not very happy with what he said about the GOP Senate leader uh, on Friday, Jeannie. Rick Scott was asked about it. Senator Rick Scott, who, of course, runs the committee tasked with getting Republicans elected, uh, he was on CNN's Face the Nation and asked if if he would condemn what Donald Trump said. Listen to how careful his answer was. As you know, you know, the president likes, likes to give people nicknames. You can ask him how he came up uh, with the nickname. Uh, I'm sure he has a nickname for me. Um, but, you know, here's what I know. We, we got to watch how we spend our money. We got to stop this inflation. Um, and, you know, and I, don't, I don't condone violence and I hope any, no one else condones violence. Nicknames are one thing, but this, this, is, this appears racist. Is that okay? It's never, ever okay to be a racist. Um, um, it's, you know, look, I think you always have to be careful, you know, if you're in the public you know, eye, how you, huh. how you say things. Did he not mean, Jeannie, you have to be careful what you say about Donald Trump? Oh, he did. I wasn't sure if those were seagulls or crickets behind him that you could hear <laughs> after Dana Bash asked him that question. Um, you know, I, I have to say, um, the piece you quoted from the Wall Street Journal after that, where they said the death wish rhetoric, they talked about this as ugly yeah. even by Trump's standards. And yeah. We've all gotten used to what Donald Trump has done. But, you know, for Mitch McConnell and particularly the Republicans to stay silent on this because they're worried about alienating their base 
is deplorable. He should be called out on this. When you've got to the Wall Street Journal's point, Susan Collins saying she wouldn't be surprised if members of Mm. Congress are shot. I mean, this is, you know, following January 6th, he should be called out on this. The rhetoric is unacceptable. And, you know, no leader should condone this and they should say it outright. And, you know, we're waiting for somebody beyond Liz Cheney to come forward and to say that (laughs) this is not acceptable. And we haven't heard that yet. And Rick Scott, just another example of that and it doesn't matter what his feelings about mitch mcconnell are personally he should come out and say it because the reality is this is unexpected unacceptable and it's not just mitch mcconnell it's also it's also you know elaine chow who was a respected cabinet member of many administrations the op-ed in uh, rupert murdoch's wall street journal uh, writes quote mr trump's apologist claim he merely meant mr mcconnell has a political death wish but that isn't what he wrote it's all too easy to imagine some fanatic taking Mr. Trump seriously and literally and attempting to kill Mr. McConnell. I don't know that we need to spell it out quite that directly, but maybe we do, actually, Rick. Maybe we do. Maybe that's the point. Yeah, I think that is the point. I think we've gotten to the point where we can't assume that that people are right-minded on their approach toward politics or politicians. And, uh, and it was really disappointing to see Rick Scott uh, in the video, yeah. uh, what should he have with, said? Well, wearing a Navy hat, right? Yeah, I mean, like, right. okay, you know, you're wearing the colors of the, the Navy. That's great. I'm glad you served. But, you know, the next time you have to squirm out of a, a simple question like this, take the hat off because it's wow. an insult to anybody who served in the Navy. Uh, you know, if he wants to wear the hat, then he's got to act like someone who can defend the country. And part of defending the country is pushing back on these kinds of yeah. uh, scurious uh, uh, claims by Donald Trump. It's just outrageous. So you clearly think he should have condemned it. How about you, Jeannie? What should Rick Scott have said? He should unequivocally have condemned it and said there is no place in American government and politics for any of our leaders to be using this rhetoric, and it's unacceptable, and Donald Trump should apologize. That's what he should have said. He didn't say it, and shame on him. One thing that uh, Donald Trump did say that he was happy about at the rally is he's got one, well, Got at least one real big fan out there this week. I would like to thank a great woman named Ginny Thomas. Do you know Ginny Thomas? She's a great woman. The wife of a great man, Justice Clarence Thomas, for her courage and strength. This was the same day that she testified before the January 6th committee. Uh, Is that the last we see or hear of Ginny Thomas, Rick? Yeah, I hope so. Um, uh, Walking out of the the hearing with the committee and yeah. continuing to tell the big lie that the election was stolen is just outrageous. I mean, is she going to get a talk show, Jeannie? Jeez, oh, I hope not, but she <laughs> might. Maybe a podcast. <laughs> That's the spirit. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis, our signature panel. Great to talk to you guys. Hey, we have a podcast. Sound on. Make sure you subscribe, especially if you showed up late. I'll meet you here tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.